Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chan's house on Thursday the 30th of August. I'm Jenny Tansy and reading the news with me tonight are... Sue Perry, Hannah Green, Kate Hudman. Nigel Green is our engineer. Carol Hartle is working on the administration and this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Mother's Plea, Tributes to Tattoo Artist Jack, 29, Brazen Thief, Write-Off, College Snub, and We're Sorry. But we'll start off with the um, obituaries. Arian Mary Botham Nay Jones passed away peacefully on August the 6th. The service will be on August the 31st at 10.45 at Worcester Crematorium. George, known as Rodney Cass, was a professional cricketer and he passed away in hospital on August the 14th, age 78. A private cremation is going to be held at St. Edburgar Church in Lye on September the 3rd at 3 p.m. John Douglas Gallimore passed away aged 99 on August the 10th. The funeral service is at St. Matthias Church on September the 17th at 11.30. Ronald Johnson, known as Ron, passed away peacefully on August the 2nd, aged 91. The funeral is at St. Denny's Church, 7 Stoke, at 2 p.m. on Thursday, sorry, on the 3rd of September. Pete Lane passed away at home on August the 14th, age 56. A celebration of life was held at the Worcester Crematorium today. Lawrence Licence, known as Larry, passed away at the Royal Hospital on August the 12th, aged 86. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on September the 4th at 10.45. Michael John Wooler, known as Mick, passed away suddenly on August the 4th, aged 77. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on August the 31st at 2.15. Brian Edward Draper, MBE, passed away peacefully on August the 11th, aged 81. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on September the 5th at 10.45. Violet Elizabeth Chance Evans passed away peacefully in hospital on August the 11th, aged 85, the funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on August the 31st at 10 a.m. Peggy Hoskins passed away on August the 13th, aged 94. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on September the 13th at 12.15. Graham Lewis passed away peacefully on August the 18th. The service of burial is at St. Philip and St. James Church in Hallow on September the 3rd at 12.30. Janet Patricia Duke of Ronxwood passed away peacefully on August the 17th, aged 78. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on September the 14th at 1pm. Edward Ratcliffe, known as Eddie, formerly of uh, Carmichael Fire and Bulk, passed away peacefully on August the 15th and the funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium Chapel on September the 5th at 12.15, followed, followed by the internment at Astwood Cemetery. Our thoughts and sympathies go to all the family and friends. The thought for today is Matthew verses 1 to 2, sorry, Matthew 7 verses 1 to 2. 
Jesus said, Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I'll pass you now to Sue for the first headline. And this is from Friday, August the 24th. The mum of a 22-year-old woman who took her own life is appealing to a man who plans to travel to Switzerland for assisted suicide to reconsider his decision. <clears throat> Anthony Hayes, 59, who has borderline personality disorder and says he was abused as a child, has told his family that he wants to end his life. <clears throat> Liz de Oliveira's daughter, Lucy, died in February 2017 and she, was urged, she has urged Mr Hayes from Worcester to rethink his decision to prevent those close to him suffering as she has. Having seen the impact my daughter's death has had on literally hundreds of people, and believe me, Mr Hayes, yours will too, there is absolutely no way I could ever put others through the hell I go through every single minute of my day, she said. Lucy was studying to be a paediatric nurse at Liverpool John Moores University, and her mum feels the stress of her course and working led her to take her own life. The bright and popular student was juggling studying, 12-hour hospital placements and two jobs in a city <coughs> Excuse me, where she didn't have support network of family. However, Mrs de Oliveira, who raised her daughter and 27-year-old son Alex alone, said that Lucy had a strong character and she had no idea she was struggling. If you're terminally ill, I absolutely understand it assisted suicide you are just bringing forward the suffering but it's inevitable said the 60 year old mum who has not returned to work as a barrister since Lucy's death if I could just speak to Mr Hayes for five minutes I think I could change his mind it's the fallout that he doesn't appreciate his family may be supporting him but they don't understand what they will go through once he's died <coughs> they can't understand only people like me who have been through it can understand. I don't have a life anymore. There's not a day goes by that I don't think about Lucy and it's destroyed me. Mrs de Oliveira of Kidderminster suffers from fibromyalgia, chronic widespread pain and has said men mental illness must be discussed more openly like other conditions and disabilities. What's really needed is much more treatment of mental health conditions and being able to speak up about them without being stigmatised. All of us will suffer from poor mental health at some point in our lives. It's a very human condition. We need to be much more open about it. Father Brian McGinley of St George's Catholic Church, Worcester, in reference to Mr Hayes, has said the shifting attitude to euthanasia has meant human life in our society is now under threat. Euthanasia is worse than suicide, for it involves the intentional killing of someone else, albeit someone who may have asked to be killed, he continued. Those who take someone else's life take to themselves the power of life and death and decide that another person's life is without value. If someone is suicidal, pushing him or her over the brink is not helping, it is harming, he added. 
And on Saturday, August 25th, the headline was Tributes to Tattoo Artist Jack, 29. Friends have rallied to support the young daughter of a tattoo artist who was found dead in Worcester. After the shock death of Jack Allender, who was just 29, his friend Ryan Porter has created a fundraising website to collect donations for the popular daughter Penelope. Mr. Allender's body was discovered near Barbourne Brook just before 8am on Tuesday, August 21st. Police said his death was not believed to be suspicious. Mr. Allender was owner of the Madhouse Tattoo in Pump Street, Worcester, and was popular with customers. He had been due to work at Noiseland Tattoo in Leicester from August 27th to 31st, according to his final Facebook post on Monday, August 20th. Commenting, commenting on the fundraising page, Mr. Porter said, I don't have permission from Jack's family to do this. However, Jack wasn't just my tattooist, he was my close friend. We both helped each other battle demons we didn't share and he truly helped me at times. So help please so please help me and raise some money for his beautiful daughter Penelope. <coughs> if any issues arise then obviously this will stop. However, in the meantime, I'm just trying to do something good, which I know this man would have done for me. The page can be found at gofundme.com slash tay6q hyphen jacks hyphen legacy. Meanwhile, friends have been paying tribute to Mr. Allender on the Worcester News website and on Facebook. CT11 said... Rest in peace, Jack Allender, a very talented man with such a life to live. You'll be missed, cruel world. My thoughts are with your family and your gorgeous little girl. Thank you for being you, genuinely a loving, funny, caring, kind man. That English chap said, My friend and next-door neighbour, I'll miss him greatly. He was a fantastic guy who had lots thrown on him, but always seemed to pull through. Rest well, dude. Cat82 said, Such a tragic loss. Always felt very privileged to have been tattooed by such a talented artist. Thoroughly enjoyed listening to his stories about his nan and his daughter. You live on through the timeless pieces of art you've created on the pe people who came to you. Holly Barrett said, I'm completely lost for words and heartbroken. You were always such a gentleman and a pleasure to be around. I'm so lucky to have met you. My thoughts and best wishes go to his family and closest friends at this time. Miss Matt Walters said, Six days ago I was sat in your chair reminiscing about old days and talking about new to come. And now my heart is torn in half from what I'm reading. And Jade Wood said, You were one of my oldest friends, going all the way back to high school days. So many memories. You were such a gentle soul and so talented. The world has lost one of the best. I can't imagine what your family are going through. Thoughts go out to everyone affected. And the headline for Monday, August 27th, Brazen Thief, Man 
stole nuts in city raid caught on CCTV. A brazen thief was caught on CCTV taking lighters and a packet of peanuts as he stole more than £1,500 worth of items from a bar in Worcester. Ben Rogers, aged 33, of no fixed abode, raided a garage which has been converted into a personal bar in Chesterton Gardens, Warnden. This was the second time the personal bar had been targeted. Victim Thomas Guise, director of Smart Wolf Limited in Forgate Street, caught Rogers carrying out the burglary on CCTV. Mr Guise, who lives with his girlfriend, Jordan Powell, 23, an accounts assistant, said, As I came in the door to the bar, the main thing I noticed, which made me realise something was not right, was that a piece of wood which is going around the wall at the top was hanging off. I didn't think much of it, but then I went to check the camera here and I saw our mystery guest. He had lit, he had a lit torch and he was shining it everywhere. We can see him having a nose into everything. Then he looks in boxes, takes a couple of little things, then he noticed the camera. Mr Guy said that despite the garage being locked, Rogers broke inside and made off with around £100 worth of paintball equipment, radios, a bottle of whiskey and vodka and a packet of peanuts, believed to have been bundled inside a paintball kit bag. He said the garage door was locked, so I don't know how he managed to get in. I get the feeling he was quite experienced at this. Obviously he saw the camera and dashed. It has not bothered me, but my girlfriend has made her it has made my girlfriend a little bit paranoid. I can see how it could disturb some people. Mr Guise, 28, added, he stole a few lighters, but he checked that they worked first. I suppose try before you buy. I don't feel angry. I know this stuff happens all the time. Rogers was jailed for 30 weeks at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on Wednesday, August the 22nd, after pleading guilty to the burglary as well as other offences. He swiped £19 worth of meat and was aggressive to staff at Sainsbury's local on July the 31st and stole £48 worth of air freshness from Asda in Silver Street on August the 20th. Speaking on the sentence, Mr Guy said, The punishment did indeed fit the crime in my eyes. The burglary took place on August the 6th at 11.45pm. Mr Guy's had installed a camera in his garage after a thief stole six or seven bottles of whisky last January. He praised the police and highlighted the importance of CCTV cameras. I, will, I would always have them now, he said. If we ever move, I would always use them. The police have been brilliant. They have been keeping us updated throughout the pro- process and they have been so helpful. The headline for Tuesday, August the 28th, write-off. Mum's shock at finding her car wrecked. A mum from Worcester was left shocked after discovering that her car had been badly damaged whilst parked overnight, with insurers saying the vehicle is a write-off. Abby Wilson, Citroen Saxo, registration number six, sorry, VX52BUW, was thought to have been hit by another vehicle overnight in Victoria Road, Malvern, near to the police station, between 9.30pm on Thursday, August the 23rd and 4.15pm on Friday, August the 24th. The 33-year-old from Warnden, who has a young daughter and uses the car to get to work, was upset to find the vehicle badly damaged on Friday afternoon 
after she had left the car overnight in order to ride home with her husband, Jim. She has been told by her insurance company that the car is a write-off. Following the incident, Mrs. Wilson made a plea in the Worcester News for the person who caused the damage to her car to come forward. Yesterday, Mrs. Wilson told the Worcester News that a person who said they had hit the car had now come forward. She said they claimed they had reported the damage to Kidderminster Police Station on Friday afternoon. Mrs. Wilson said that, although the vehicle was not worth a lot, the car was her way of getting out and about. Speaking on Saturday, Mrs. Wilson, who is an assistant manager at Waitrose, said, I just don't know how someone could leave it like that. I was cross. I had worked all day and had taken a bus to get back down to see it in in that state. The driver drove off and left it completely smashed. I looked everywhere for a note, but I couldn't find one. It was not about money. It's just that it's my way of getting out and about. I'm generally an upbeat person, but I hope karma will get them back. And this headline is from Wednesday, August the 29th. And it says, Dwarf Chef, Health and Safety Risk. A teenager with dwarfism has claimed he was refused a place on a city college's cooking course because he is a potential health and safety risk. Louis Makepeace says he has been discriminated against in being refused a place at Heart of Worcestershire College due to his size. But a spokeswoman for Heart of of Worcestershire College said the student's place at the college is still under discussion and the matter could be resolved before the end of the week. The college says that the uncertainty hinges on whether appropriate adjustments to the kitchens could be made in time. The 18-year-old from Worcester, who is 3 foot 10 inches due to his achondroplasia, a form of short-limbed dwarfism, said he was originally offered a conditional place for the hospitality and catering course on August the 16th. But the teenager claims the college has since backtracked because he is too small for the kitchen, with college bosses branding him a safety risk to the other 14 pupils after being told he would cause a disruption if he got under their feet. Mum Pauline, 56, says the course leader also told her there was no point in him doing the course anyway as he would never be allowed to work in a commercial kitchen. The teenager now fears... His dreams of becoming a chef are over after his humiliating ordeal. But celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay has shown his support for the teenager, tweeting about the story. Disgusting attitude. I'd offer him an apprenticeship any day. Mr Makepeace said, It was really upsetting as I had my heart set on the course. We are supposed to have equality of opportunity, yet I'm not allowed to do something I love doing. They're simply not prepared to make the necessary adjustments to accommodate me, such as making the surfaces and hobs lower. We were prepared to be um, flexible, and my mum said I could maybe do the cooking at home whilst the new equipment was installed, but they kept saying no. They said I would be a health and safety risk and disrupt other students, and I'd get in their way, which was very humiliating. It really has dented my confidence. How am I ever supposed to get the culinary skills that are going to get me a job in a catering environment? 
All the time I was at school, I was very confident. I had lots of friends, and my disability was never an issue. But how am I supposed to get by if this is how I'm treated? I feel like I have been excluded from the real world. My confidence is shrinking, and I feel that people stare and laugh at me. People just think I'm still a kid, and will push in front of me in queues. The teenager's mum said she is still pushing for a final answer from the college, but has been told to find Louis another course. They won't even give me a straight answer, but when I asked the course leader whether he should find another course, he told me it would probably be a good idea. He said it was pointless doing the course, as he would never be allowed to work in a restaurant kitchen anyway, even if he qualified. It was outrageous. He claimed that Louis would be a health and safety hazard in the kitchen to other pupils, so we couldn't have him standing on a step of some sort. Apparently, it would take seven weeks for contractors to come in to make adjustments, such as lowering the surfaces and hobs, and they weren't prepared to wait. It wouldn't be so bad, but there was a chap there several years ago who had the same condition as Louis, and they adjusted the kitchens for him. A spokeswoman for Heart of Worcestershire College said, "The Heart of Worcestershire College prides itself on being an inclusive organisation that endeavours to offer opportunities to all. The college has previously worked closely with Louis Makepeace during his time on our performing arts course in 2017, where he successfully completed his first year." The college has undertaken a review process, as it does with all students, to ensure the appropriate adjustments to the kitchen that Louis needs to allow him to safely and successfully commence his course, and to ensure his needs are met, although they're they're in place as well, from the start of his studies. This process is still ongoing, and after further discussions have taken place, both at the college and with Louis himself, we hope to have a final outcome by the end of the week. And today's headline, Thursday, thirtieth August, was "We're sorry." The council apologises for care failings of man who later died. An apology has been issued to the family of an elderly man over failures in his care at a city rehabilitation centre after he died in hospital shortly after leaving the facility. A watchdog says staff at the Timberdine Nursing and Rehabilitation Unit did not keep adequate records on one of its patients in a report published last week. Worcestershire County Council bosses offered the patient's daughter three hundred pounds in compensation, but she turned this down as she was not interested in a payout. Instead, the council gave the woman a seventy-two pound fifty reimbursement for her father's clothing that was lost at the centre. Her dad, who was described as frail and elderly, was admitted to the centre, now the Worcester City Inpatient Unit, on March first, twenty sixteen. However, he was sent back to hospital four days later and died that evening from pneumonia. County Councillor Adrian Hardman, cabinet member for Adult Social Care, said, "We accept the findings set out in the Ombudsman's report, and we have apologised to the family. We have already acted on and actioned both recommendations made in the report. The points raised by the Ombudsman have been discussed with managers in Adult Social Care, and lessons have been learned." 
The local government ombudsman report criticised the centre in Timberdine Close, Worcester, for not completing a treatment plan for the patient's wounds, branding this a significant failing. The father had dressings on his right ankle and below his left knee, however his daughter claimed that the dressing on his ulcer had gone when she visited him in the centre. Staff did not write down how often wounds would be measured or redressed as part of his treatment plan, according to the report. The report added that there should have been psychological observations of the patient after a nurse spotted him looking pale and sleepy on March the 5th. In addition, the watchdog found that her father's food and fluid chart were incomplete, creating uncertainty about whether he had been eating properly. The records also failed to show how often the patient was checked, prompting concerns that he did not receive an appropriate standard of care. Peter Pinfield, chairman of Health Watch Worcestershire, said, The Ombudsman report highlights some serious service faults in the recording and sharing of essential information between the professionals. We would totally support the recommendations the Ombudsman makes and we presume they have been enacted by the County Council. On the wider issue of the need to ensure good quality care is provided, Healthwatch would like to satisfy itself that improvements have been made to ensure transfer of key patient information and record keeping is of the highest quality. Healthwatch will ensure the CQC gets a copy of the latest Ombudsman report and some feedback from our own experiences over the past two years that members of the public have shared with us. It might be time for an unannounced visit from the CQC just to reassure ourselves that things are tip-top. And now some other articles we hope you might find interesting. Residents are celebrating after council chiefs refused a plan to build a home which they said would lead to a loss of green space. Householders Cherry Close Droitwich, uh, alongside neighbouring residents in Cockshoot Hill, have been campaigning to save the green space at the end of the cul-de-sac after developers submitted plans to build on the site in May. The proposed development included one house, one car parking space and two bicycle spaces. Speaking on behalf of the residents, Tony Jones said, We would like to extend our thanks to the planning department at Witchhaven District Council as the application for planning permission has been refused. We are aware that there is a possibility of an appeal to the planning inspectorate. However, as the permission was refused on several grounds, citing the South Worcestershire Development Plan, we hope that common sense will prevail and that we will be allowed to continue our enjoyment of the green space and trees for many years to come. Previously, residents had protested that the plans would irrevocably change the character of the close, with a main concern being the felling of several mature trees, including three Swedish white beams that were planted to replace an elm tree which died of Dutch elm disease. 
Previously, Devon Mystery project architect said some trees will be removed as part of this proposed development, but we have proposed to plant more trees on the other green areas next to this, on Cherry Close itself, and enhance the environment for everyone through the planting of flower beds. We do not deem the loss of the portion of open green space at Cherry Close as excessive, given that there are five or six other green spaces within a two to eight minute walk. A variety of engaging events will bring the past to life in the first ever Worcester History Month. Events taking place throughout September will include historical walking tours, talks, open weekends and exhibitions. Highlights include two heritage open weekends on September the 6th to the 9th and the 13th to the 16th. Venues across the city, including the Guildhall, King's St. Albans Chapel, St. Helen's Church, the Old Infirmary and Tudor House, will throw open their doors to celebrate heritage, community and culture. Cathedral Square is the venue for Fields of Battle, a free exhibition to commemorate the centenary of the First World War by award-winning photojournalist Michael St. Moore-Shell. On Saturday, September 1st at 5.30pm, the Battle of Worcester Drumhead Ceremony will take place to mark 367 years since the Civil War battle. The parade will meet at the Guildhall and make its way to Fort Royal Park. At Noon on Saturday, September the 15th, another World War I drumhead ceremony will take place at Gullivert Park. The service in the presence of the Lord Lieutenant of Worcestershire will include music from the Grenadier Guards, a parade of standards and an act of commemoration. Carenza Lewis of Channel 4's Time Team will be giving a talk entitled The Black Death and Beyond. Discoveries from Archaeological Pits. The talk is on Monday, September the 17th at 7.30 at the Perrins Hall Royal Grammar School and the admission is £2. And at 2.30pm on Sunday, September the 30th, there will be a guided walk around the city's timber frame buildings led by Sheena Payne Lunn, the city councillor's historic records officer. The walk is free and starts outside the Guildhall. Lucy Hodgson, chairman of Worcester City Council's Place and Economic Development Committee, said, Worcester's rich and diverse history and heritage warrants a whole month to explore and celebrate. That's why we're launching Worcester History Month in September. This is um, about... um, story about a lady who um, had very good care at um, Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Um, Her son praises the staff and said they were fantastic. Those are the words of the son of an elderly woman who died at Worcestershire Royal Hospital as he praised staff for helping his mother pass away peacefully with dignity. Michael Kent aged 68, of St Peter's, said that every single member of staff treated his 92-year-old mother as a priority during her 36-hour stay at the hospital. Irene Kent of Perrin's House Care Home in Moorlands Road, Malvern, died from complications due to an infection on Saturday, August the 11th, after being taken there by ambulance on Wednesday, August the 8th. She was treated on Avon 3 ward. 
Mr Kent, a pilot, said, I would like to thank publicly every single member of staff who came into contact with her, doctors, nurses and domestic staff alike. It would be easy to assume that at the age of 92 she would not exactly be a high priority, but it felt just the opposite. They were fantastic. It was marvellous from the moment she got there. You could forgive them when it is so busy to not think of an elderly lady as a priority, but they made you feel as though she was. Mr Kent added, The hospital trust may be in dire straits, but it is reassuring to know that the professionals at the sharp end can be relied on to carry out their duties with great skill and, just as importantly, great compassion. After waiting in the ambulance for around an hour, there was simply no room inside. She was admitted at around 3.30pm. She was triaged immediately and quickly moved into the major care suite. The next morning she was moved to the medical assessment unit and during Thursday night transferred to Avon 3 ward. 36 hours later, on Saturday afternoon, she passed away peacefully and with dignity. Mrs Kent, who is originally from Manchester, was taken to hospital following three days of deteriorating health. A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust, which runs the Royal, said Mr Kent's praise would be welcomed by staff. We would like to thank Mr Kent for his kind words about his mother's care and pass on our condolences for his loss, the spokesman said. Our staff across our hospitals work exceptionally hard, day in and day out, to provide the best possible care to all our patients, and words of thanks are always gratefully received. We will pass on Mr. Com- Mr. Kent's comments to staff. A crime novel written by the editor of the Worcester News is released this weekend. Flickering Lights by Michael Parton tells the story of a 17-year-old boy trying to unravel the mystery surrounding the death of his adoptive father. Published by Ink Hills, based in Malvern, the book is Michael's second novel following the release of Silhouettes in 2016. Michael, 33, who has been editor of the Worcester News since January, said the novel is a dark, atmospheric story about characters driven by grief. Although it's fiction, I was inspired by cases I covered as a reporter and the book is set in an unnamed place but similar to Worcester. Flickering Lights is available on Amazon now in paperback and in e-book and, we will, be, and will be stocked in Waterstones and other bookshops. Michael will be doing a book signing in the Costa in Worcester High Street from 11am to 1pm on Saturday, September 15th. You can buy the book in Costa on the day or bring along a copy for Michael to sign. A legendary steam engine made a welcome return to its Kidderminster home this week following a major operation by Seven Valley Railway. The Hinton Manor, a supersized loco, arrived at Kidderminster Station to the delight of railway staff and train enthusiasts alike after a long journey from a Swindon shopping centre where it had been on display for 11 years. The steamer last travelled along the tracks at the Seven Valley Railway in 1994. It was loaned to the shopping centre's operators in 2007. 
At around 5pm last Tuesday, people watched the railway crew spectacularly transfer the beloved 68-tonne 7819 engine from a low loader back onto the tracks at Kidderminster. The Seven Valley Railway saved the steamer from a scrapyard in Barrie, South Wales, around 45 years ago, following the national re- retirement of locomotives on British railways. The classic locomotive is now on display at the station for people to see it over the bank holiday before making tracks to Hiley where it will be placed alongside other key historic engines at the Engine House Visitors Centre. At Hiley, the Hinton Manor will also have the honour of becoming the railway's wedding engine venue. Seven Valley Railway General Manager Nick Rawls said the Hinton Manor is a really special loco that everyone loves and it's very exciting seeing that it's back. There will seem to be a real warmth in the nation's heart for engines. A brave woman came face to face with a drunken monster who spat in her face, wielded a cleaver in her home and left her afraid for her life. Sophie Kale was praised for her courage by a judge after she faced her former partner Ian Evans at Worcester Crown Court, recounting her terrifying ordeal at his hands. Evans also damaged property with a screwdriver and cleaver, tried to fight a neighbour who asked him to keep the noise down and shouted that everyone in Elgar Avenue and Malvern was useless. The 38-year-old of Elgar Avenue had already admitted possession of a bladed article, common assault, two counts of criminal damage, and using threatening, insulting or abusive words or behaviour when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Friday to be sentenced. Michael Connery, prosecutor, said Evan's partner returned home on her moped after finishing her shift shortly before midnight on July the 26th this year. When Evans asked if she was all right, Miss Kale said, no, not really, you've been drinking. Evans replied, yeah, yeah, I've been drinking. What are you going to do about it? Mr. Conroy, Con, sorry, Mr. Conry said the victim tried to ignore Evans, but he shouted abuse at her and was overheard by a next-door neighbour who called police. Officers spoke to Evans, who agreed he would be quiet. However, once the police left, things got bad again, said Mr. Conry. He spat in my face, calling her useless. She described it as a phlegm spit which landed on the bridge of her nose, said Mr. Conry. Evans went downstairs and into the street, shouting, everyone in Elgar is useless. He was told to keep the noise down by neighbour Ben Porter, who had to get up for work at 6am. Evans replied, why should I? Mr. Conley described Evans as wanting wanting a fight, but Mr. Porter made it clear he was not going to get involved and close the door. The defendant's response was to bang the door and hack at it with a knife, causing damage to it, said Mr. Conley. The court heard how one of Evans's neighbours, Georgia Taylor, had a panic attack, fearful of what Evans would do with the knife. When Evans returned to his own house... Miss Kale was described as being fearful he would kill her, she said. I thought he was going to stab me. Evans was carrying a Chinese cleaver in his right hand and a screwdriver in his left, hacking the bedroom door with the cleaver and stabbing it with the screwdriver. Evans was heard to say, if I get sent to prison, you're going to pay for it. 
In police interview, Evans said he had been drinking Frosty Jack cider since 8.30pm. Sophie Kale read out her victim personal statement in court. She said, Since the incident, I find it difficult to sleep. She said she did not eat properly and felt on edge, even though she knew Evans was in prison and would jump if the postman went to the door. When I close my eyes, I can see him in my bedroom with a knife, she said. Miss Kale also suffered hair loss and broke down at work. In total, Evans caused £670 worth of damage to Fortis Living Property. Curtis Myrie, defending, defending Evans, said of the father of three, he was heavily intoxicated at the time. When he does drink, he goes way beyond what would be responsible drinking. He accepted the offences at a very early stage, entering guilty pleas at the magistrate's court. The offences also placed him in breach of a suspended sentence order for burglary, an order he had breached once already. Evans was originally sentenced to 12 weeks suspended for 12 months, but this was extended to 24 weeks suspended for 15 months following an earlier breach. Judge Jim Tyndall said of the offences happening only 10 days after his suspended sentence was extended. He described the offences as appalling domestic abuse and said, under the influence of alcohol, Evans had become an aggressive, violent, drunken monster. It must have been terrifying for Miss Kale, as she vividly explained in her statement, showing a huge amount of courage in facing you down after what you did to her, he said. The judge jailed him for 12 months and imposed a restrictive order to protect the victim and neighbours. A former drug addict denied he was a dealer after police found crack cocaine and heroin inside his car. Charles Beach admits possession of both A-class drugs but denies any intent to supply them at his trial at Worcester Crown Court, which began yesterday, claiming the drugs were for personal use. The 54-year-old former support worker, who previously lived with his mother in Madrasfield, stopped his Peugeot partner van in Elgar Avenue, Malvern, on July the 26th last year. Special Constable Samuel Long searched him and the van at around 12.55pm, describing the defendant as appearing stressed and anxious. Beach was arrested after the officer discovered £80 in cash and 19 wraps of drugs. These included 14 wraps of crack cocaine with a weight of 1.63 grams and an estimated value of between £140 and £280 and 5 wraps of heroin, 366 milligrams with a street value of around £50. John Brotherton, prosecuting, said the drugs were found in the van's centre console under a cushion-stroke-pillow used by Beach's Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Police also seized a mobile phone from Beach, which received 52 missed calls over a a two-and-a-half-hour period following his arrest. A number of text messages were also received, including some from friends and others who Beach said were drug addicts. One text from someone saved as Crazy Dave said, How long now, mate? The prosecutor told the jury this was used as wanting to know when they were getting their drugs from Beach, but Beach said in the witness box this was a response to a request he had made for somewhere to stay and they had wanted to know how long he would be staying. 
He told the jury he had been sofa surfing at the time and had sent several texts to friends. An independent drug specialist said the amount of drugs found could be either consistent with personal use or for a drug user or with su- for supply to a non-user. In police interview, Beach said he had bought the drugs from a man but didn't know his name. He had smoked one of the rocks of crack while in his car in Malvern Link Common. Beach was called as the only defence witness by his barrister, Charles Hamer. He told the jury he had scrounged £250 from his mum to buy drugs, petrol and dog food, telling her he needed it for car insurance. The £80 found on him was the residue of that cash and that drug addicts did not share or sell drugs but kept them for themselves. The trial continues. A mural could be painted on a wall at Diglis, but angry residents say it will lower the tone of the area. The Canal and River Trust has submitted a planning application for the creation of the temporary mural across the north-facing wall of the Diglis oil dock. The work would be painted by artist Lucy McLaughlin, who writes in the application... My murals can be found around the world, however I have never painted in Worcestershire. Since researching Diglis, I've begun to understand what a unique area the basin is with its diverse ecology and the historical importance it plays within the Worcestershire waterways. This temporary artwork shall not disturb the wildlife or residents, but I hope it will enrich the area, enhancing the view of this currently rather gloomy-looking basin. But residents against the opening the floodgates project have objected to the plans, which also include an information board in Diglis Dock Road. In a comment submitted to planners, Mr and Mrs M Chapman of Mills Wright House, Basin Road, Diglis, said, This will be a piece of artwork that that we will be forced to look at each and every day. There will be a marked increase in noise, litter, footfall right outside our home, and we've moved here for the peace and quiet that was offered. While A. Wright of Lockwheel House said the artwork, in inverted commas, may lower the tone of the area and encourage additional unauthorised artwork to be put up. John Stanley of Millwright House said our apartment directly faces the dock wall where the mural will be painted. For the period of time proposed we support the mural but after that the wall should be restored. A canal and riverside trust spokesman said, we think the artwork proposed for Diglis Oil Basin will be a fantastic addition to the river and the city. The artist Lucy is a revered street artist whose work has adorned public spaces across Europe, America, Africa and Asia. That someone with her talent has chosen to support a project in Worcester is something that should be celebrated. He added that the Trust had consulted with ecology and heritage experts to ensure the plans were sensitive to the area. He added, all in all, we think it's a great opportunity to bring astounding art to Worcester, providing a new point of interest and excitement to the otherwise un underused oil basin 
with a design which is inspired by the ecology of the local waterways. A final decision on the project will be made by September 20th. The story of a World War I soldier from Malvern who died while trying to help a fallen German soldier has been highlighted to mark the centenary of the conflict's end. Lieutenant Peter Layard's story was chosen to be included in the Commonwealth War Graves Commission Road to Peace, which tells 120 personal stories of casualties who died during the final 100 days of the war. Peter Layard joined the army aged 18 when the war broke out. He arrived on the Western Front in January 1916, but was badly wounded while in command of a trench mortar. He returned to England and spent two years in hospital. The lieutenant arrived back at the Western Front in June 1918, taking part in the Battle of Amiens in August. He fought at Albert and on the final day of fighting he was in action near the French village of Gommicourt. During the carnage he ran out to help a wounded German soldier but while binding his wounds was shot dead at the age of 22. Peter was laid to rest in the Douchy Layette British Cemetery. On his headstone are inscribed the words Son of George Somme's Layard, enamoured of life, he went laughing into the arms of death. When the war ended, Peter's sergeant wrote to his parents saying, No better soldier or gentleman ever wore the king's uniform. Historian Max Dutton said, Behind every one of our headstones or names on a memorial to the missing is a human story waiting to be told. Our campaign will remind people of the human cost of the Great War, the sheer diversity of those who took part and the global nature of that sacrifice and remembrance today. We hope Peter's story will inspire people to find out more about him and his comrades and visit their graves and memorials. Um, here's a bit of bad news, starting with the sports. The finals day tickets have sold out. Tickets for the Vitality Blasts finals days at Edgebaston on Saturday, September the 15th, have sold out. Worcestershire fans were pictured queuing to get their tickets at Blackfinch New Road. Rapids will play Lancashire Lightning in their semi-final in Birmingham at 11am. And the county said in a statement... We apologise to any disappointed members or supporters who were unable to obtain a ticket. And this is a, a football article. Deutwich Spa returned to winning ways with a 2-0 victory over Old Wolfronians. I'm not quite sure who they are. In West Midlands League Division 1. Spa, who lost 3-1 at leaders Darleston Town on Saturday controlled the first half but didn't make their dominance pay. Winger Hayden Morris, James Lemon and Bradley Burgess all went close but Spa got a deserved goal when Lemon raced onto a long ball and finished well into the corner. Wolves came out for the second period like a different side and controlled long spells but Spa defended well. They hit Wolves on the break when Burgess raced clear and squared for Ollie Thompson to tap in his first senior goal. 
Spa, who ground share with Stourport <coughs> Swifts, embark on the Build Base FA Vars Trail on Saturday at home to a higher-ranked Coventry United in the first qualifying round at 3pm. Leah Baker scored as Droitwich Spa lost in the first FA Women's Cup tie in their history. Spa lost 2-1 at home to higher-ranked Stockingford AA Pavilion at King George's Playing Fields. Keeper Jodie Bennett produced a player-of-the-match display for Spa against the West Midlands League Premier Division side. Droitwich start their Division 1 South season at Sedgley and Gornal United on Sunday. (coughs) And here's some more cricket. In fact, this is the match that um, has led to Worcestershire being in the final and um, Jenny just told you there are no more tickets and I happened to see it. It was my first cricket match ever. So, (laughs) Worcestershire Rapids ended 15 years of T20 heartache when beating Gloucestershire by five wickets in a tense, low-scoring Vitality Blast quarter-final at Blackfinch New Road. After five defeats at the knockout stage, they will make their first appearance on finals day at Edgebaston on September 15th, leaving Derbyshire as the only county not to have featured in the T20 showpiece. Callum Ferguson, with the only half-century of the match, steered Rapids through a nervy start and reached an unbeaten 64 from 47 balls in taking them beyond Gloucestershire's 136 for 8, with 8 balls to spare. What was a comfortable margin in the end was not looking lightly when three Gloucestershire seamers each took a wicket in their first over. Moeen Ali, one, was LBW to Matt Taylor's first ball. Joey Clark, Joe Clark, 13, holed out to mid-wicket from AJ Ty's fourth delivery. And Brett D'Olivera, seven, found mid-wicket from Benny Howell's second. But Worcestershire had Ferguson to ease the tension, reaching his 50 from 33 balls with six fours. The Australian's cool head was as much the difference between the sides as Gloucestershire not scoring enough runs. Worcestershire had one more wobble when Ben Cox, 11, chipped Howell to mid-wicket, but Ross Whiteley, 20, eased the pressure in a partnership of 52. In the crucial 16th over from David Payne, Whiteley hit two sixes, and the total was topped up by two wides and two no-balls until the left-hander was caught at deep cover from what was the tenth delivery. Gloucestershire had lost their last two games before taking the final qualifying position in the South Group. Their batting was distinctly top-heavy. The free and easy hitting by Miles Hammond merely a preliminary for a disjointed retreat in which they lost seven wickets for 60 in the second half of the innings. The disparity was such that the first three in the order, Hammond 45 for 31 balls, Michael Klinger 24 from 23 and Ian Cookbain 35 from 29 were responsible for more than three quarters of the total. 
As soon as Worcestershire took pace off, five wickets were shared by Brett D'Oliveira, the leg spinner taking a competition best, four for 15, and Daryl Mitchell with his underrated cutters in a spell of one for 15. They were backed up by a high standard in the field. Ed Barnard held three catches in the long-on area and his direct hit from short cover, running out Cockbane, took away Gloucestershire's chance of a meaningful recovery. Yet they had promised so much against the quicker bowlers. Hammond, with 150 in the competition this season, looked set for another as his clean striking brought five fours and two sixes. But he was tempted into an unnecessary risk when opting for the reverse sweep and falling LBW to Mitchell's fourth ball. From there, it quickly became a procession. Klinger picked out Barnard in D'Olivera's first over, and in no time, half the side had gone for 97. After the front three, Gareth Roderick, 12, was the only player to reach double figures. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is some uh, Worcester Warriors news. The hotly contested battle for places in the back row is giving Worcester Warriors Chief Alan Solomons a selection headache ahead of Saturday's meeting with Wasps at 3pm. With just two days to go before Warriors launch their Premiership campaign at Six Ways, Solomon says he is pretty close to penning his team to face the Coventry side. But the Worcester boss admits he has still got some tough decisions to make as he prepares to make a crunch call on who will line up in the loose forward positions. Gerrit Jan Van Vels, Cornell Dupreez, Marco Mama, Sam Lewis, Alafoti Fazoliva, Matt Cox, Matt Williams and a fit again Carl Kerwin are fighting it out for three slots. Centre is also an area Warriors have strengthened this summer, but Solomons reckons injuries to Ben Teo, quad, Winard Oliver, hamstring, and Will Butler, elbow, have made it an easier decision. We are pretty close to what we want in terms of the 23 players that will play on the weekend, Solomon says. We have got to look at it specifically, but also as a whole, and how it all hangs together. We want to have a cohesive unit going into the match. We have still got a bit of time, so we will give it some careful thought and in due course we will announce the team. You must remember that Ben and Wynard are not available and neither is Will, for that matter, because he has had an operation on his elbow, and so that does reduce the number of centres. I will probably say the loose forward position has got more candidates. Those selection decisions are tough, but it is very healthy. With prop Ethan Waller, shoulder, ruled out of the opener, Ryan Bauer and Cullen Black are are in the running to start the number one shirt. Wing Bryce Heem looks set to feature against Wasps after returning to full training following his recovery from a quad issue. But Solomons will be be without utility back Scott Van Breeder and standoff Jamie Shilcock, who both suffered knocks in pre-season. Solomon said the duo both had the ability to be Warriors' main goal kicker this season, but he now looks to choose between either fly-half Jono Lance or Duncan Weir for that responsibility on Saturday. He said, Duncan is a good goal kicker and Jono has been working on it with his coach, Gordon Ross. 
Shiri has been working diligently on his goal kicking and in some of the friendlies he kicked quite well. We have got a few options there. We try to develop as many as we can, but I certainly think those three are our primary goal kickers. Pens, Chris Pennell, can kick as well as, as we know, and Scott is a really good goal kicker too. So our fly halves and full backs are our goal kickers. That ends our sports. Um, but Worcester Festival went out with a bang as hundreds of people enjoyed a stunning firework display in South Quay. Crowds watched as the display lit up the bank holiday Monday sky with the rain luckily staying away. The spectacular fireworks display held above the bank of the River Severn brought the curtain down on the popular festival, raising money for St Richard's Hospice in the process. A number of people commented on how excellent the display was this year and Worcester News Camera Club members sent in some spectacular images and videos of the fireworks. The fireworks display has grown in popularity over the years. It's now in its 15th year. Meanwhile, at Fort Royal Park, the popular One World in Our Park event returned and was enjoyed by residents. The family-friendly mini-festival featured a programme of music, activities and dance. The programme included Bangra dancing, samba, cheerleading and zumba, plus live local band Bitter Roots and the amazing sound of the Voices Unlimited Choir and was officially opened by Mayor of, Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Jabariaz. One word, World in Our Park is organised by the Friends of Fort Royal Park and Commandry Gardens with support from Worcester City Council, Freedom Leisure, Fortis Living and Matthews City and Country Homes. Chairman of the Friends of Fort Royal Park said it went really well, a successful event enjoyed by a large crowd. Seven people have denied conspiracy to cause grievous bodily harm following a suspected acid attack on a child in Worcester. The father of the child, who cannot be named for legal reasons, was in court to deny the charge. Also appearing at Worcester Crown Court was Adam Cech, 27, of Birmingham, Jan Doody, 25, of Hansworth, Birmingham, Norbert Polko, 22, of London, Jabba Paktia, 41, an Afghan national of New Hampton Road, Wolverhampton, Syed Husseini, 41, of London, and Martin Badilova, 22, of Newcombe Road, Birmingham. The court clerk asked the defendants to stand as he read out the charge, which is that they conspired to cause grievous bodily harm with intent the particulars that between July the 12th and July the 18th this year they conspired together with others unknown to cause the injuries to a minor. All of the accused entered not guilty pleas. The alleged acid attack of a three-year-old boy happened at 2.15pm on Saturday July the 21st at Home Bargains on Shrub Hill Retail Park, Tallow Hill, Worcester. The proceedings were relayed to the defendants via four interpreters speaking Slovak, Czech and two Afghan languages, Dari and Pashtun. The case was adjourned until a one-hour-long mention hearing at the court set to take place on Friday, September the 21st. The trial could take four to six weeks, but prosecutor Jonathan Rees said six weeks was more realistic given the number of defendants. 
Judge Jim Tyndall said hosting a six-week trial at Worcester was going to be complex, but that the case could be heard either by Robert Dukes QC or a High Court judge sitting elsewhere, given the profile of the case. However, he added, I'm proceeding on the basis it will be remain in Worcester. Mr Reese said that the trial would involve CCTV and telephone evidence. The defendants have all been remanded in custody. And the next item is called the Mayor's Column. Um, so Councillor Jabarias has written, It was good to hear that the former RGS student and Worcestershire cricketer Imran Khan has been inaugurated as the Prime Minister of Pakistan. It's a great honour, no doubt, for RGS and for the cricket club. I hope the city can acknowledge him in some way. I wish him well in his tenure. This week, I was privileged to be asked to officially dedicate a blue plaque to John Perrin and Sons at 6 Milchepen Street. John Perrins was a brilliant gunmaker whose beautiful handcrafted pieces were the benchmark in gunmaking in their heyday and went as far as the Wild West. A collection of these guns was present at the Guildhall and we were treated to captivating history lesson about them by Vaughan Wiltshire. Hopefully an exhibition will follow soon. Yee-haw! The Worcester Festival goes from strength to strength and on Saturday the Guildhall became alive with laughter, music, cheering and fun. The Mayor's Family Fun Day turned out to be a huge success with the Rock Choir and the Toy Soldier Band from Melton Mowbray keeping all of us entertained. Thanks goes to everyone who made it a success, especially my companion for the day, Claire Brunt, who had a fantastic time and was the real star of the day. I learned about Claire's Down syndrome condition and how she had adapted her life to it. it. She truly stole the show with her infectious smile and brilliant dancing. Sajida and I were grateful for the opportunity of meeting Claire and the hundreds of visitors on the day who supported us and our charities. The joy of seeing others happy and enjoying themselves is spiritually uplifting and nourishing. We hope everyone has a brilliant weekend and enjoys the fireworks on Bank Holiday Monday. A former Special Services Special Forces soldier will row solo across the Atlantic to raise £1 million for charity after being inspired by rugby legend Dodie Weir. John Davidson, 56, is taking part in the Taliska Whiskey Atlantic Challenge to support the My Name 5 Dodi Foundation, which raises funds for research into motor neurone disease. Father of four, John, originally from Dundee and now living in Worcestershire, was inspired after meeting fellow Scotsman Dodi, who has since been diagnosed with a debilitating disease and set up his foundation with the aim of funding a, finding a cure. John, who joined the army aged 19 and served until 1996 and was in the SAS, said, I met Dodie at Malvern College three years ago where he was giving an after-dinner speech, which in true Dodie style was funny, warm and full of hilarious anecdotes. I then bumped into him at Murrayfield where I was watching Scotland play England. 
Last-minute ticket bookings meant that my son Hamish and myself were in, in a room with about 95 England supporters and we couldn't get into the Scottish wing with Dodie and a fellow Scotsman. Upon hearing this, Dodie picked Hamish up under his arm and carried him into the room and gave an inspirational talk about how you can do anything you want to do and how important children are to the future of rugby. It meant a lot to Hamish, who was nine at the time. So it just felt right to support his foundation with this challenge. To call John's Atlantic Row a challenge is something of an understatement. It would take him one million strokes of the oar to tra traverse the 3,000-mile expanse and he's hoping to reach his £1 million target by encouraging everyone who hears his story to donate at least a pound. John is one of eight solo rowers taking on the quest this year, which begins on December the 12th, whether depending, and will take between 50 to 60 days. And although he's playing catch-up when it comes to training, he has no doubt that he will succeed. Most people signed up to the challenge two years in advance, but I did it for just six months before it starts, so I'm having to do a lot of catching up with my training, he said. I had a 55-year-old sit at a laptop 12 hours a day body, but thankfully muscle history and determination has meant intensive training. Sessions have been to kick and kick-start this body back into shape fast. The mental side will be the biggest challenge because you're in a boat on your own for all that time and you have to force yourself to keep rowing even when you're exhausted. But I'm used to that kind of mental test from my time in the Special Forces and I know I will do it. John, who has run a consultancy company since leaving the forces, added, there's a tendency to think that the adventure in your life is over by the time you hit 50. So it's a great thing to show that you can always do something a bit crazy like this, no matter your age. He said that the rugby community is a family and that the sport, the sport is a very personal thing to him, hence his decision to support Dodie's foundation. My best friend was killed in action in 1991 while we were serving in the Gulf War, he said. David Shug, David Shug Denbury, MMQGM. We made a deal that if anything happened to one of us, we would support each other's teams if they were not playing each other. He was a proud, great rugby player and proud Welshman, so I wear a Scotland top and a Wales top to honour his memory. That idea of honouring someone special is behind me doing this challenge. See Mad Giraffe at Atlantic.crow UK for more on John's challenge and how to donate. The National Gilbert and Sullivan Opera Company believes it has the perfect answer for Brexit blues, whether one is a Brexiteer or a Romaner. A run of Gilbert and Sullivan classics will come to Malvern Theatres from September the 25th to September the 29th. Hooray! A spokesman said, With all this Brexiteering depressing the world, it's, a, it's good to have some quintessential English phenomena delighting the world. And what could be more British than any of the 13 Gilbert and Sullivan operas which have set the standard for musical theatre from Broadway to the West End for 125 years? Preserving the tradition of the original Doyle Cart Opera Company in the National Gilbert and Sul Sullivan Opera Company, which this year celebrates its 25th year as the resident professional company for the world-famous International Gilbert and Sullivan Festival, 
prior to hitting the road for a tour around the country featuring six brand new productions for its 2018 season. Shows will include The Pirates of Penzance and a dramatic and updated Ruddy Gore, directed by Irish Dream Team, Vivian Coates and choreographer Mary McDonough, the pair behind last year's five-star winning production of Princess Ida. There will also be a new production of The Sorcerer, directed by John Savonin, promises a fresh look at this rarely performed gem. Other highlights include Trial of Jury and the Sullivan Grundy piece Haddon Hall. For tickets, call 01684 892 277. And this article is about the um, protest um, that's going to be happening on um, the se- September the 1st on Saturday in Worcester. Um, The preparations for the English Defence League protest in the city this weekend are almost complete, with police expecting the demonstration to pass peacefully and safely. The rally is expected to start in Worcester City Centre at around half past one on Saturday, September 1st. The far-right group is staging a national demonstration over plans to build a £3 million mosque in Stanley Road, Worcester, but counter-protesters intend to tell the EDL that they are not welcome in the city. Almost a 1,000 people have either signed up or expressed an interest in attending a planned counter-protest on Facebook. A joint statement by opponents of the rally said, Worcester is a diverse city where we live peacefully alongside people from many different faiths, countries and backgrounds. We are coming together to stand in solidarity with them against those who wish to create division. The statement was made by a range of groups including refugee charity People in Motion, Stand Up to Racism and Muslim Engagement and Development. Stand Up to Racism and other groups will hold an event at Unity House in Hill Street, Worcester at 7 o'clock on Thursday, August 30th. There will be discussions, placards and banner making and speeches at the Open Forum. Chief Superintendent for West Mercia Police, Mark Travis, said, We continue to liaise with the local community as well as with the organisers of the EDL and counter-demonstration to ensure that we are able to safely police Worcester on September 1st. Officers are working hard with partners and other agencies and will continue to do so to ensure disruption in the city is minimised and the event passes peacefully and safely. More than a 1,000 people have signed an online petition calling for the police to stop the EDL demonstration from taking place. However, West Mercia Police told the Worcester News that the protest could not be legally banned due to the demonstration being classed as a gathering rather than a march. Three people were arrested and two police officers were injured at the last EDL march in Worcester on July 21st. Some people believe the EDL are returning because of the strong resistance they were met with on July the 21st. Plans for a 38 millennial flat as part of a two-storey extension to a Grade 2 listed city centre building have been approved. 
Citation House in Fourgate Street will now become a mix of apartments for millennials after extension and conversion plans were given the thumbs up by the City Council Planning Committee. Developer Student Loft Limited said it will target millennials, those born between the late 80s and early noughties, and their penchant for smart technology. Its design and access statement quotes findings by a recent Wakefield research survey that millennials will pay up to 20% more a month if the property has smart home technology. The statement says switched-on millennials are more attracted to properties with gadgets and a wealth of smart technology including lighting, locks and thermostats as well as kettles, washing machines, coffee makers and speakers which can all be controlled through a phone app. These will be incorporated into the apartments. The developer also plans to use biophilic designs which aim to bridge the gap between human beings and nature throughout the building and in the apartments. Images used in the design statement show wood, grass and glass featuring heavily. The developer also plans to provide a number of charging points for e-bikes as part of its no-parking-space car-free development. Councillor Pat Agar said, I was just making a list of the pros and the cons and the list of pluses came out a lot longer than the minuses. It will bring an underused building in the city centre back into use and it is a sustainable area of the city in terms of transport. The extension really isn't going to have a major impact. Councillor Louis Stevens said, I think high-density living in something we should, is something we should be encouraging more. And Councillor Chris Mitchell, chairman of the planning committee, said, I think it's a really, really good development and completely back it. Historic England and the council's own conservation officers object it. Residents of Alfric and Lowsley will be celebrating their villages communities at the annual show on Saturday, September the 1st. Among the attractions for 2018, weather permitting, will be an aerobic display by local pilot Richard Goodwin in his biplane, followed by a fly-past by the iconic Battle of Britain Spitfire as the plane returns via Alfric to RAF Coningsby in Lincolnshire. At the event, there will be a horticultural marquee and exemption dog show and visitors will be able to enjoy a host of stalls and attractions, including a licensed bar, teas and cakes in the village hall and a selection of food stalls. Children can ride ponies, uh, train rides, have train rides, bungee trampolining and alpacas. There will also be classic cars, rifle shooting and archery, bric-a-bac books Brickerback books and plants on sale, and refreshments and music from the Worcester Concert Brass. There will be demonstrations from Worcester School of Dance and Gundog demonstrations from Fortis Chord. The show, now in its 67th year, opens at 12.30pm at Alfric Playing Field, WR6 5HJ.
And here's another date for your diary. The View and the Odeon in Worcester will be screening Cliff Richard's live 60th anniversary concert this October. So Cliff will be celebrating 60 years in the music industry this autumn and his concert in Manchester's Bridgewater Hall on October the 12th, 12th will be live streamed to more than 700 cinemas across the UK and Ireland, allowing fans to watch the star perform in real time. Encore stream screenings will also take place on October the 14th, Sir Cliff's 78th birthday. A spokesman said, Sir Cliff Richard is without a doubt one of our greatest musical treasures. With a staggering 103 album releases, a record-breaking 103, sorry, 123 single hits and the equivalent of 20 years spent in the UK charts, voted Britain's ultimate pop star, 2018 sees Cliff Richard celebrate his 60th anniversary in the music business. Sir Cliff said... The 60th anniversary year is such a very special one for me, with an album release of exciting new tracks in the autumn, and to be able to bring my show live to cinemas around the UK is an absolute thrill. I really will feel like I am with everyone that night. I can't wait. Further details at cinemalive.com forward slash event forward slash cliff dash Richard dash live. I don't think I'll ever come to terms with not being able to have kids of my own. Those are the words of a 32-year-old woman whose life was changed forever by cancer. Kate Stallard from Malvern told the Worcester News about the toll that surviving leukaemia has taken on her after her near-death experience. Before my divorce, I had my whole life planned out, Kate said. I was newly married, had a good job, went on nice holidays, I was even thinking of starting a family. Then everything fell apart. I'm still in a grieving process. I don't think I'll ever come to terms with not being able to have kids of my own. In 2016, Kate was 48 hours from death when she was rushed to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. It was revealed that she had an acute promyelocytic leukaemia, a rare type of blood cancer. She had to go through volatile treatment to survive with lasting consequences. The long-term side effects of cancer treatment are never discussed, Kate said. The fertility issue, for instance, it is almost seen as taboo to talk about it. I was nervous bringing up the topic and being honest about my feelings, I just felt that I needed to get it out there and help individuals who have gone through my pain. Kate suggests that there is a lack of psychological support available, despite such help being a vital part of recovery. There are a lot of things you don't want to tell your loved ones because you don't want to upset them. You can have some scary thoughts when you go through something this traumatic. So being able to talk to someone, impartial and trained, is just invaluable, she explained. Kate is starting a counselling course in September at Redditch College with the goal to help others who have gone through the same experience as her. I want to be able to help others, she said. I will eternally be grateful towards the Worcestershire Royal Hospital and Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth Hospital Birmingham for keeping me alive and continuing to care for me. 
A restaurant owner is adamant he's done nothing wrong in an immigration row over one of his employees and will rehire him when he's cleared. A 29-year-old Bangladeshi man was arrested earlier this month at Balti Mahal in Astwood Road by immigration officers for allegedly overstaying the limit on his visa. The Home Office had initially said the man was being prepared for deportation but now have said he has been bailed with the case ongoing. When he was arrested, he had no right to work and he still doesn't, a Home Office spokeswoman said this week. The restaurant, taken over by Hafiz Nur Mohammed two years ago, could be forced to pay up to £20,000 unless it can prove satisfactorily appropriate right-to-work document checks were carried out. This includes seeing a passport or a Home Office document confirming permission. But Mr. Mohammed denied that he knowingly employed someone without the right to work in the UK and says he believes he's done enough to prove this to the Home Office. The 55-year-old businessman listed as director of Talukda Limited by Companies House said he has provided the authorities with copies of the employee's passport and insurance documents. Prior to hiring the man in question, Mr. Mohammed said he was presented with the copies of the documents he requested, including a British passport, which he has also shown to the Worcester News, though he has not seen the originals. We've done our duty as it's a British passport, so we don't need to see a work permit, he said. During the raid on August 2nd, Mr. Mohammed said immigration officers supported by West Mercia police were given the papers but later returned and arrested the employee. I still believe he is a genuine citizen that we've employed, he said. When he is cleared by the Home Office, I will take him back. Her Majesty's courts are well known for being bastions of strange and arcane rituals stretching back into the mists of time. So it can only be hoped, perhaps expected, that Mensa member Marguerite Collins, a recently retired usher at Worcester Crown Court, is in her element providing guided tours around the city, helping history enthusiasts navigate the area's rich past, just as she helped countless visitors navigate the complexities of its courts. The 75-year-old mother and grandmother has joined Worcester Walks, which provides guided tours shedding light on the faithful city's story from its shadowy prehistory through to Victorian times. The two-hour walk takes in the Guildhall and Copenhagen Street, named in honour of Lord Nelson, who visited the city in 1802 after his victory at the Battle of Copenhagen. It also includes the Elgar statue, the River Severn, the Old Watergate, the Edgar Tower and Sidbury and Friar Street. The English Civil War features prominently, including the flights of the future King Charles II after the Battle of Worcester in 1651, as does Leon Perrins, which started in Broad Street. Mrs Collins, born in Malvern, has deep roots in Worcestershire, tracing her family's links to the area back to 1535. She began her role as an usher in 2003, 
Ushers perform a vital function in the court, helping its efficient and smooth running. Mrs. Collins and Mrs. Collins received a valediction from Judge Robert Dukes QC in court when she retired earlier this month. Judge Dukes also praised Mrs. Collins for her skill with technology, which included the use of video link. Worcester Fire Station will open its doors to the public from 11am to 3pm on Saturday, September the 15th for its annual open day. The event at the station on Mackenzie Way is free for all to attend and promises to be entertaining for all of the family. There'll be a wide range of fun-filled activities for everyone to enjoy, including static displays and demonstrations where you can watch firefighters demonstrate how and what equipment they would use to rescue casualties. Fire safety displays will also show how you can be safer at home, in your car or on the water. Police officers, paramedics and volunteers from the British Red Cross will also be there, along with mascots Welly Fanti and Blaze Bear. Refreshments will be on sale throughout the day and visitors can have their faces painted and browse the stalls. So that nearly brings us to the end of our uh, evening. The lighting up time is 20 hundred hours to 6, 5, sorry, 6.17. Emergency phone numbers uh, for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6pm to 8pm is 0300 and the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number 01684 892277 Worcester Live 6111429 covers the Swan and Huntington Halls entertainments uh, Worcester Hub number for council matters is 765765 or 722233 Crime Stoppers 0800 555111 Our telephone number is 01905 767766 our address is 11 Wiles Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. And our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. We greatly value your feedback. Please let us know your likes and dislikes and uh, um, just leave a note in your envelopes. So from all of us tonight, good night.